0: Bible said Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be reading verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, let's read, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, yea, have God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for Wednesday, dear Lord. Thank you for this break, dear Lord, in our schedule, dear Lord. We could come to church and just learn more about thy word. We ask now that you would just open our hearts and our ears to the message or the teaching, dear Lord, that you put on uh, pastor's heart, be with him, dear Lord, give him wisdom and discernment, and ultimately that you would get all the honor and all the credit. In Jesus' precious name we ask, amen. You may be seated.
1: Back by popular demand. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't resist. (laughs) Oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, How great Thou art! How great Thou art! And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart! Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim Thou art. Amen.
0: continue on the uh, subject of supposed issues with the King James Bible if you're if you're around a while you're going to be challenged on this subject. Uh, you're going to be challenged by people that maybe are a part of your family or maybe people that are new believers, whatever the case may be, and people are going to ask for an answer. And I have been in several situations over the years uh, where I didn't know what to say, and so I'm trying to give us the answers before uh, you get into that situation, and so you're not taken off guard. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for words. Thank you, Lord, for your words. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your words Lord, I'm not envious or jealous at all of those people, Lord, in the Old Testament. Lord, we have your words in front of us here just like they did. Thank you, Lord, again that you've spoken to us as well. And Lord, uh, we know you care for us because you have spoken to us and you've given us promises and you've given us truth. You've told us who you are and you've told us who we are and you've given us the plan of salvation. Please, Lord, bless us and help us tonight again to have good understanding of this subject Please give us all wisdom and understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, again, very quickly, God deals in words. God uses words. God created the ability to speak, the uh, the ability to hear and understand words, and then be able to, again, use words to, uh, again, uh, convey truth to one another. Uh, man was created in the image of God. God right away spoke them into existence, and uh, God right away spoke to them. God told Adam that he was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God immediately started to use words to instruct Adam and to show him what he was to do and what he was not to do. And of course he gave Adam uh, the skills to communicate as well. Adam spoke to God and God uh, could speak to Adam and Adam could understand God and speak back to God and God could understand Adam. And so again it was a wonderful uh, matter of using words in order to work together, to live together. Uh, God enabled Adam and Eve to speak as well to one another. And so God created words. God created a language. God did it numerous times in the Bible. Obviously he did it in Genesis. He again did it in the Tower of Babel. He created different languages. God did it in Acts chapter 2, and then, of course, God did it, Uh, we'll do it, I'm sorry, in the future when the Bible says his kingdom comes to earth, we'll speak one language. And so, again, God is the one that created the ability for us to understand words, to use words to accomplish uh, his will. God doesn't have a problem with words. God doesn't have a problem with different languages, and every people are promised God's words and have God's words. Uh, God is not, uh, again, uh, unable to do that at all. So we looked at certain issues that people may have with the King James Bible. Number one, we looked at the these and thous, uh, and people will say, well, why do we have the these and thous? (laughs) It's better English. It's more meaningful. It's more precise. It's much better. And I gave you a simple rule to go by. If anything with a T, like thee, thou, and so forth, is singular. God's speaking to an individual. Wherever there's a Y, ye, uh, or or, um, you, uh, God is speaking to a plural number of people. And I've already used that uh, again, just as I've read the Bible this last couple of weeks. uh, It makes it much clearer and it's very precise. Uh, I was just reading today actually when God uh, spoke uh, to Paul. He, he, he used the thee. To, he was speaking to Paul. And if you remember later, uh, the Bible says that the people were with Paul. They, they heard a voice, but they saw nobody. That God wasn't speaking to them. God spoke to Paul only on the Damascus Road uh, because he uses the thee. And so again, uh, it's very interesting in the Bible when you use that principle. Uh, so thee and thou's are very good, very helpful for us to understand, uh, again, what God is doing. Then secondly, we look at the EST and ETH endings, the, um, the endings in the Bible of E-S-T or E-T-H. The idea of that, again, is that it's an ongoing action. It is a, a continuous matter. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's a continuous uh, a- acting, if you will. And it's not something you just did one time. And so, again, that's very helpful as well when we look at the Bible, those endings. Uh, they're on purpose, and they actually help us uh, to see what God wants us to do. And so, again, the King James Bible is really, uh, again, much better than, again, some of the new, if you will, perversions or uh, uh, just abbreviations of the Bible that are sold in bookstores today. And again, so we need, we need those endings because they're very crucial. Then uh, we looked in the Bible uh, at certain areas, and it's, it's, it's here and there, uh, where there's certain italicized words. Uh, these are words that are slanty, if you will. It's a type of uh, print that was used... Uh, in the Renaissance period and uh, these are separate words uh, that are put there so that the meaning of a word that's interpreted can be clearly understood. Again, there are some words in the Bible that are very clear, you know, one word for one word, but sometimes, especially in a strong language like Hebrew or Greek, these words are very, very uh, uh, strong, very, very, uh, very precise. Uh, What happens is you need another several words there to express that meaning. And for it to be, again, fully uh, clear. And so the King James uh, translators were very honest about this. In in the Bible, you see italicized words. Those are there on purpose so that the words are uh, logical. So it makes perfect sense. And we gave many illustrations, of course, uh, in different languages. Sometimes there's one word in one language, but you need two or three words in another language to say the exact same thing. And so, again, that's not cheating. That's not improper. That's very, very honest and very precise that they did that. And so, again, that's why some words in the King James are italicized. Last week, we spoke about this uh, subject. I had a critic one time come up to me uh, with a big old Bible, and it was, I guess, some kind of a reprint of what they did in 1611. And he gave that to me. He said, well, he says, if you believe in the 1611 King James Bible, then here, what do you make of this? And to be honest with you, when he showed it to me, I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, It was very hard to read, very, very different than what I was used to. And that's what I wanted to explain uh, last week. In introduction I said this, I do not believe in the holiness or perfection of paper, ink, printers, or printing presses. Okay, I do not believe in the inspiration of dictionaries or grammatical rules that English has at different times in life. I believe ultimately that only God is in charge of preserving his words. It's very important because sometimes you'll see something uh, and, and if you're not clear on this, it'll throw you. Uh, I, I had people, I've had people show me uh, Bibles with uh, typos in it. You know, it's Obviously, they, they messed up on the typos. Does that shake my faith? Not at all. My faith is not in a publishing house. My faith is not in Oxford or Cambridge or whatever uh, company a publisher, a publisher printed the Bible. My confidence is in God's word. I know I have God's word because God is alive. And God's word is alive. Now a printer once in a while may make a mistake. Listen, that does not, that, my faith was not in him or her or them anyway. And it's very important for us to understand that, that God personally promised us to give us his words and to preserve them for this generation forever. Every generation is going to have God's word. You say, well, who says? God says. Well, God has the power to make that happen. Now, there's going to be human beings involved in that process, but God's not depending on human beings. Amen? I'm thankful for that. I mean, God uses human beings to give the gospel and so forth, but when God says it, it has nothing to do with you and me. I love this statement. I say it a lot. Kevin Cowling is the one that taught it to me years ago. God does his work in spite of us. And that's the truth. God preserves his word, not because of us, in spite of us. Do not think that mankind has a part in preserving God's word because he doesn't. If we did, it'd be corrupt. If it did, it'd be a mess. Now, does God use printers? Of course he does. Does he use people to preach the plan of salvation? Sure. Does God use people as parents and mothers and fathers? Of course he does. But ultimately, he goes back to God. God works through people, but the one that takes responsibility for giving us his words is God himself. Amen? God's word is alive as long as God is alive. Again, God's word will always be alive. Uh, Again, I believe that God's word actually never had a beginning because God never had a beginning. God's word is eternal. I understand that we have the 1611 Bible in English, but I believe God's word was around way before that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, it never had a beginning because God never had a beginning. When God speaks, again, that is God's words. And we saw several situations in the Bible where they tried to destroy God's word. God wasn't taken back just because Jehoiakim threw the Bible into the fire. So what? He gave Jeremiah words and more words on top of it. Because God is ultimately in charge of giving us his words. Not a king, not even King James. Hey, not a a country, not even America. You know, God's word's been around a long time before America. And after America's gone, God's word's going to be unaffected. And we have to understand that it's very important. Uh, Again, it's it's, it's important that we understand as long as we have God, we have God's word. So my faith is not in dictionaries or English, the English language, or even the Elizabethan English. My faith is in God. And so again, it is never a work of man, it is God alone who preserves his word for us. And so if you give it to me in English or Chinese, font size 8 or 108, black print, red print, hard bound leather cover or soft cover that you bought at the dollar store, if you give it to me, again, it doesn't matter to me, it's God's words. And again, God's words don't depend on those things. You understand what I'm saying? And so God keeps his promises to us, again, no matter what man does. So, again, uh, it's important that we understand that God's word is settled in heaven. So, going back to this individual that showed me a Bible one time with a typo in it, uh, does that shake my faith? No, it does not. It does not. That was a mistake. And let me say this, too, that when a Bible printing company makes a typo, they're not trying to give us a new translation. They made a typo. And you take the Bibles and you say, "Listen, that's that right there. You know, that's they put a letter upside down or whatever they did. Uh, that that's that's wrong. That that you could we have God's word. We could see it right away. Are you with me? But again, uh, people will use that and 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 you know try to cr- critique what we believe. That's why it's important. We're clear on what we believe. Again, a, a printing company that makes a mistake does not shake my faith because my faith was not in them. My faith was in God. So." Going back to the original uh, illustration I used because i've had it happen to me and you'll probably have it happen to you as well when this individual gave me the uh, uh, gave me this big Bible sixteen eleven they said here you believe in the sixteen eleven then how come this is so different it, it kind of i didn't know what to say, and this is many years ago uh, i didn't know what to say the first thing you'll notice if you ever see a sixteen eleven Bible printed in sixteen eleven obviously we don 't have the originals, but you know a, a replica of that you'll look at it and you're like i can't read it it's very difficult to read the reason it's very difficult to read is because they used Gothic type print. Okay, uh, we're not used to that. That is an old style printing that goes back to Gutenberg from Germany, from Europe. They use that that style of type, if you will. For us, we're used to Roman type. It, it's 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 quite different if you will as far as the type goes but when the original when in the 1600s when Bibles were printed they used the gothic type uh, print because that was more ornamental it was more eloquent it was a, a they felt it was a beautiful typesetting uh, they, they, they used it because it kinda copied handwritten letters and but it's very difficult for you and me in our generation to sometimes read it I won't go over this all but I, I put it on the whiteboards last week Their uh, their I was actually a J, Uh, their S was an F, their U was a V, and their V was a U. Uh, They also use some abbreviations for and and the. If you look in some of them, they have some funny things there that we don't recognize uh, uh, right away. Uh, So again, uh, it's hard to read, but let me put it this way. (laughs) If I took this Bible right here and went back into a time machine, we, you know, we had one here at VBS a few years ago, and I should have jumped in there, and go back to 1611 and showed my Bible to somebody, they'd look at it and say, boy, that's hard to read. You with me? It's the same words, same letters, actually. It's just they look at it and like, boy, that's hard to read, because they were used to the Gothic-style st- uh, print, that, that typesetting, if you will. And so, again, uh, it's just a different style of type. And uh, so what happens is this: Critics will say there were thousands and thousands of changes between 1611 and 2017. What do you make of that? Well, so what? They changed the type. Most of those changes are basically them switching it to Roman uh, type, and then they changed all their J's to I's, and their F's to S's, and their U's to V's, and V's to U's, and so forth. And they wrote the word "and" and "the." That that is just it's just a type. Uh, a type, just like when you write on the computer, uh, you can look at the different fonts. Is that what they call it? Yeah. yeah. And the different, you know, styles, Cambria, right? And this and then and that. they they just change the the font. Is that the right word for it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, font. I'm not a computer guy, so uh, <laughs> boy, you <laughs> very very affirmative on that. They change the font. If you ch- if you write a letter and take the write it in Gothic and then change it to Times Roman, does it change the letter? No, it just changes the type font. You with me? So when they, cha- this is in the 1600s, uh, they then uh, changed the font over to Times Roman because things changed and uh, basically the English language started using different, a different type and then what happened is they, they started printing Bibles in Times Roman. The second thing you'll notice in a, in a, a replica of a 1611 uh, translation is they have weird spelling. At least to us it's weird. Okay, back in the 1600s, we have to understand, there actually was no such thing as correct spelling. Okay, and this is what we spoke about last week, I'm just reviewing very quickly. Back then, in the 1600s, spelling or grammar was not standard. People would write their names, sign their names in a lot of different ways. And uh, we mentioned Sir Walter Raleigh and, and Shakespeare and so forth, they signed their names and wrote words, how it sounded to them at whim, there was not a standardized spelling for words. I have here, again, it, it, to us, it's it's different. We're not used to it. But you have to understand back then, this is how they wrote English. Okay, I have a copy here of, of a 1611. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, verse number one, the Bible says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, charity there is spelled C-H-A-R-I-T-I-E, I'm becoming as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I'm reading the, the Gothic st- style print here. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, I am nothing. Again, it's not what I'm used to, but this time charity spelled C-H-A-R-I-T-Y. So literally in one verse it's I-E, the next verse it's Y, in the next verse... I'm sorry, down to verse, yeah, verse number three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, they jump back to IE at the end. So they intermingle different spellings. And and the words are spelled differently than what I'm used to. Uh, for example, poor is spelled P-O-O-R-E. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's some different spellings here. Um, over here, say, a brass is spelled B-R-A-F-F, actually, E. And uh, again... It's the way they wrote back then. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, I'm reading here from verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14. But he's a, he that prophesieth, I E T H. Then in verse number 5, it speaks about prophecy again, and it says, uh, but rather that you prophesied, I E D. Then in verse 6, the uh, translator there uses the Y instead of the I E N, prophesying, p r o p h. E-F, which is a S-Y-I-N-G. So they intermingle spellings. If you want to see this, it's up here after the service. So basically, they would, they would not have a standard way of spelling that. And uh, again, when a person comes up to you and says, you know, in the 1611 Bible and uh, the 2017 Bible, there's thousands and thousands of changes. Well, yes, they went from the Gothic typeset to Times, uh, Times uh, font, well, that's a lot. That's a lot of that's that's a lot right there, but it does not change the word. Okay, the spelling is the same. Way. Oh, there's thousands. Of yes, they did. They used what we use today and spelled it the way uh, consistently. That's what we're used to today. Thousands of changes, but are they really changing anything? No, they're not. They are just making the spelling again what uh, we are used to. So again, it's very important that we understand that that's what they did, and I. Uh, I, I wrote up here some examples. For example, good back then would be spelled G O O D or G U O D or G O U D or G U D or G O E D or G O O D E. Those were all standard spellings of the word good in the 16s and 11s. What they did in the Bible, they just made it all G O O D. And that is touted by critics as a change. The reality is it's just simply making the spelling consistent. Whether you spell good G-U-D or G-U-D-E or G-O-O-D, it's still good. It's not changing the word. You you all with me? And so, again, we have to understand that that's what what happened. Uh, Again, and I'll make some very clear statements here in a minute. They took some of the E's off of things. For example, fear was spelled F-E-A-R-E. Dark was spelled D-R-E. Uh, D-A-R-K-E and words, W-O-R-D-E-S. Again, they took those, uh, those E's out. A lot of words in the um, 1600s were spelled with double vowels or double consonants. For example, moved would have been M-O-O-U-E-D. B would have been B-E-E. They had many times double vowels, double consonants. What they did is they went through the Bible and they just made it all the same. They used basically spelling that was consistent with what people used. That was a little bit later in the 1700s, by the way. In the 1700s, again, they went through the Bible and they said, let me, let's, now that spelling is standard, they started standardizing the spelling. And so they went through that whole thing and went through uh, the Bible. Okay. Uh, and, and, and they went from what was normal and readable in the 1600s now to it was normal and readable in the 1800s. But again, they did not change the words. They, they made the spelling consistent. We have to realize that standard English spelling only came about in the late 1700s. There was no such thing as a spelling being in the 1600s because you could spell however you wanted to spell it. And, and it's not wrong. It's just that's the way it was. You understand? Just like if we went back there and, they spell, and we say, well, we spell G-O-O-D all the time. They say, you're weird. What's wrong with you? They would look at you and they say, "Look, we understand you're saying the same word, but to them it would be not, again, what they were used to. Just like for us, we're not used to spelling words all different ways. It wasn't until the, um, uh, like I said, the late 1700s in England, a guy named Samuel Johnson started writing dictionaries, and in an America, Noah Webster started writing dictionaries, that we started all spelling words the same. Before that, we didn't." Uh, So again, then standardized spelling came uh, into being. Also, standardized punctuation came into being. Okay, when a person gets up and says, there's thousands and thousands of changes in in the 1611 as compared to what we have now, okay, be careful. What they did is they changed the font, they uh, made the spelling consistent, and in some cases, punctuations. punctuations. Again, this is something that that was normal Uh, Again, just to make it consistent. Okay, several statements. This whole subject is not a problem of translation. Okay, it is not a problem of the Hebrew or the Greek. It is a problem of the uniqueness of a developing and changing English language. That's the problem right there. Okay, our English was, again moving around and when you print it on paper again it creates certain necessities again not to change the Bible but to make it where it's it's if you will in a a practice consistent with with uh, what we're used to okay Um, again the difference is really spelling customs grammar trends and punctuation trends that's the difference there some people now this is very important Oh yeah, this is, very, this is the most important statement here all night. So I want you to get this. Some people will say the King James Bible has been revised many times since 1611. Some of them will say four times, some of them will say eight times, whatever the case is. Okay, they say the King James Bible has been revised many times. I strongly, strongly, 100% disagree with that my sta- statement. The King James Bible has never been revised. It has never been changed. Okay, if you're talking about from Gothic to Roman, yes. Standardized spelling, yes. Obviously, in the very early stages of the printing, especially in the 1600s, I think I remember saying to you last week, remember the printing presses? uh, Some of you were around. I know when I was young, we did printing. Every letter was this little metal block that you had to stick in this little tray, and had to be backwards so that when you put the paper on it, you could read it. Understand, in that process, yes, they goofed up a few times, and they went back after 1611 and, and corrected some of those things. But that's my whole point. God is perfect, God is powerful, printers aren't. Printers aren't perfect, you with me? And the English language sure ain't perfect. Okay, God's perfect, God's words are perfect, but when you try to put it on a, a, a printing press, yes, once in a while, the, even though they're careful, there's going to be some mistakes. In my opinion, that does not change God's word and his power. All it, it means is that we've got to make sure that we're trusting in God, not some printer. You with me? That's very important because once in a while you're going to see a typo. Even in modern, uh, you know, printings, there's going to be a typo here, there, and you're like, and, and we need to catch it, and we need to see it, and we need to mark it. But my point is this, that the King James Bible has never been revised. There have been thousands of, yes, spelling consistencies, but doing that and putting pronunciation in and taking ease off and double consonants because we're not used to that, listen, it is not a revision. It is definitely not a new translation. It is simply making it consistently readable, and that is what they did, and that's what they sought to do. The King James Bible has never been revised. We need to catch people when they say that because that's the wrong word. Okay. Again, like I said, they did not try to correct anything in the Bible of what God said. They did not try to add anything or take away anything. They did not try to add words, take words, they did not do that. It was not an attempt. It was not an attempt. It was not an attempt to retranslate the Bible. It was not an attempt to use different manuscripts. Listen, it is completely different what they did with the spelling and the font and the punctuation than what they did with the NIV Bible. With the NIV Bible, they use different manuscripts and they start saying, well, this is what we wanted to mean and this is what we really meant to say and this is what is supposed to be here and that's wrong and this is right and we, we're the judges of God's word. That is completely different than what they did in the New King James uh, uh, Version, the RSV, all those versions, there's only one Bible, the King James Bible. Now, you have to understand, yes, our English language is, is, is changing, so in some senses, the spelling uh, had to be consistent so it's more easily readable, type and so forth. Okay, that's not a revision. Are you with me? Okay, another question is this. Some people have this question, and they'll ask you this. They say, was the Apocrypha in the 1611? Okay, what during this time, you have to understand, the Catholic Church in 1546 had a meeting called the Council of Trent and declared these 12 books or so, I think it's about 12 books uh, that had been floating around during that time as inspired by God. Okay, these twelve books were written in Greek and Latin, and the Catholic Church had taken these, um, uh, taken these books and kind of mixed them in with the Bible. So when the translators dealt with this, they were basically taking everything that was around their area during this time and looking at it and saying, "What do we believe about this?" And so the translators in 1611 got these books together that the Catholic Church had declared as part of God's word. Are you listening? And they said, we disagree with that. They took the word, those books, and they put them together, they translated them, but then they called them the Apocrypha. And I'm going to read you here what Apocrypha means. Okay, in in, in, in Webster's Dictionary, this is in 1828, this is an older dictionary, uh, Apocrypha means this, literally such things as are not published, but in an appropriate sense books whose authors are not known, whose authors whose authenticity as inspired writings is not admitted, and which are therefore not considered a part of the sacred canon of the scripture. When the Jews published their sacred books, they called them canonical, and divine, such as they did not publish, were called apocryphal. Okay, so the word apocryphal means pertaining to the um, apocrypha, not canonical, Canonical? Am I saying that word? Canonical? Yeah, canonical. Or in other words, not scripture. Of uncertain authority or credit, false, fictitious. When they got the Apocrypha together, they got this together. They said, you know, what? I don't know why you guys are putting this together with uh, books that got inspired, but these are fictitious, they're not acceptable. Apocryphalness means uncertainty as to authenticity, doubtfulness of credit, or genuineness. So again, they called it the Apocrypha on purpose, saying, look, we believe this is God's word, but this ain't. And they actually separate from the rest of the Bible. If you ever read a Catholic Bible, they mix it in. They separate it, put it between the Old and New Testament and said, listen, this here has maybe historical value or whatever, but this is not God's word. That's why they called it the Apocrypha. Apocrypha means of uh, questionable authenticity, not inspired. You with me? So when they, they they may bring you a Bible that has the apocrypha and say, look, you know what the apocrypha means? It means that's not the Bible right there. And they stated that contrary to what the Catholic Church had believed for uh, 60 years before that and what everybody was taught to believe. They said, listen, this right here ain't the Bible. It's not the Bible, okay, proper English. Okay. So that's that's that 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 that's my perspective there on the 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 the, the printing of the sixteen eleven. Okay, let's jump to another subject. Why not update unused words or difficult words? Why not update difficult words or unused words? Let me say words are constantly changing, and to try to keep up is a waste of time. Okay, in the English language, things are constantly changing, and in the, in any language, really. Their language is constantly moving around and so forth. Today, we use good words in a very lowly way. We use words today that 30 years ago we didn't use like this. For example, the word gay. If you told me 34 years ago I was gay, I'm like, yeah, I'm a happy guy. That was normal. That's a good word, gay, by the and now we use it in a lowly way. Uh, for example, Cool. That one's a little older. <laughs> that one goes back to the Fonz, I think. He's the one that started that. Uh, I, I'm cool. Really, that's a good word. It means, you know, I'm like, you know, the air conditioning's too, on too much. But we use it in a, in a slang way. Uh, I'm happy. I don't walk around saying I'm a happy guy. I can't because now we've taken a good word and we use it in a lowly way. Uh, that's neat. I think that's an older one, too. I used that when I was a kid as well. Neat, again, is a good word, saying, you know, you're organized. You have all your stuff in, in order. Neat is, is, is uh, <coughs> again, used in a different way now. The sad thing is this. Words like hell are important words. They're good words. To be damned or, uh, or, or damnation is actually a good, strong word that we have used in the wrong way. And so the English language has constantly tarnished good words and taken crummy words and used them in an important way. And so the English language is constantly doing that. People talk about archaic words in the King James Bible. They use the word archaic. Now, what they mean by archaic is very simply this, words that we don't use in our modern lingo on the street. Okay, so any word that I don't use when I go up to my friends on the street is archaic. Okay, now let me ask you a question if that's your case. Then who decides what an archaic word is? Who's going to sit down and decide for us what's an archaic word and what's a good word and what's a wrong word? Okay, we can argue about that all night. Why should anybody listen to you when you say this word's archaic? Maybe we should keep using words and stop changing the English language constantly. Maybe should we should just keep words the same over the centuries instead of allowing them to go all over the place and so forth. Again, I had a good example of this the other day. I don't go to them all. I can't stand them all. But I had to go to them all for something. Oh, to get those ties for the, for the deacons. Thanks, deacons. And uh, I went by a store, (laughs) this is why I don't go to the mall, it just makes me mad. I go to the store and I'm looking and there's this pair of jeans hanging there in a a storefront. The stupid things were ripped to, to shreds. It looked like the guy fought with a tiger. I mean, tears and the knees blown out and everything. And I said, are you kidding me? They're selling that garbage? That garbage? That junk! That it's like a store where they're selling new jeans. I said, "Man, I went in the wrong business." When I was a kid, I'd buy my mother would buy me new new pants, and they'd look like that after a while. Man, I should have brought them over here; they could sell them as brand new. Those are garbage, and I, and I, I couldn't get over it. I said, "I can't believe they're selling this garbage as new." Who in the world would all faded out? I mean, junky looking. What am I saying? I'm saying, when I was, listen, 30, 40 years ago, when we bought pants, and if there was a rip in it, we went to the store and said, listen, I want a discount on that. Now you pay twice as much because it's got a gazillion holes in it, and it's all ripped to shreds. You're retarded. You don't make sense. I can't imagine taking a new pair of pants and then they take, I don't know, how, they, how do they do that? They pour acid on it and cut them all up, like, what do they go, I bet what they really do is they go around to Salvation Army, buy a bunch of junk, rip it up a little more and sell it new. That's what I think they're doing. What I'm saying is we're changing. Back then, we wanted pants that had no holes in it. I remember when I was a kid, and I hated this, when I got a hole in my knee, because we always got holes in knees, my mother wouldn't throw those things away. She'd get these big uh, leather squares and sew them on there. I walked around with these, like, I couldn't even bend my knees anymore because the, 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 the patch was so thick. Now I'd be cool walking around with my knees sticking out. Anyway, what I'm saying is this, we're constantly changing. Okay, look in the Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1. 1 <coughs> Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1, real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with all the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become of a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not what, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up." Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not, <laughs> not our own, is not <laughs> easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, never for else. Hey, charity is a good word. Look at, if you went to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. You all got it? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. It says, and above all things, have fervent among yourselves, for shall cover the multitude of sins. Biblically speaking, charity is a powerful word. It means the kind of loyalty and commitment that a Christian brother has for a Christian brother or a Christian sister to a Christian sister. It's a powerful, powerful word. It is a deep commitment. It is a word that is a love, a dearness between believers that God puts in their heart. What's charity today? Yeah, I'm going to help somebody to get a tax deduction. That's what charity is. People sometimes say, you know, Pastor, I got something for the church. And it's it's amazing what kind of garbage people give me. I'm serious. It's sad. I remember the first time somebody asked me, you know, I have some stuff here. I want to donate to the church. I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I wonder what they're going to donate. A new piano, a new organ. I'm thinking, they give me a bunch of garbage. I had to throw in the garbage. Charity. You know, charity today is basically, you know, you're poor, you can't help yourself, so I'm going to help you. Totally different than the Bible word charity. We use charity in a, in, a, in a very low way. Charity is a great, great word. Amen? Uh, look, if you would, to Psalms 38. Psalms 38. Psalms chapter 38. See, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out the problem. The problem is the English language. We have a vessel that's faulty that we use, and that's the English language. Psalms 38, 15. Psalms chapter 38, verse number 15. Psalms chapter thirty eight verse fifteen For in thee, O Lord, do I what? Hope. Chapter forty two verse five. Psalms forty two verse five. Chapter forty two verse five. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? What? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You look throughout the Bible where the word hope is. It is to desire with expectation. It is to believe that it will be obtained. It is to put confidence in, total confidence in. It is to trust saying, I can't wait till you fulfill this promise. It means that this is something I don't see, but I know it's going to happen. That's why the Bible says, hope in God. God will not let you down. What do we say today? Are you going to go to the store tomorrow? Are you going to go to work? I hope so. Yeah, I just hope so. What do you mean you hope so. Hope's a powerful word. Hope means I'll be there. It's going to happen. Right now, we're not there yet. But when it when it happens, when tomorrow comes, it's going to be a reality. When you said I hope so, it's supposed to mean definitely, 100%. I don't have it right now, but I know I'm going to have it. Hope is a powerful word. We use it in a crummy way today. You know, are you going to heaven? I hope so. What do you mean? You hope so? That, that you're using a wrong word. Look, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter sixteen. First Corinthians. I'm just showing you a few examples why we shouldn't mess with the words in the King James Bible. Just leave them be. First Corinthians, chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. Everybody's trying to keep up with the English language. Do you know? It's not. It's not. It's not God's job to keep up with our little grammar books. It's not God's job to keep up with our little spelling books. It's not God's job to make it, uh, again, keep up with our little, you know, flitty, changing rules all the time. You know, they revise the books in the schools constantly. You know why? Because people keep changing their mind about everything. Science books change every two or three years because they find out half the stuff they taught was wrong. Constantly changing. So what, God, what's God supposed to try to figure this out and keep up with us? It's ridiculous. So don't don't mess with it. <laughs> I'll say it in a minute. Study. If you don't know where look it up. I got a lot of these big fat dictionaries in my office. I like them. I have a dictionary. I'm not kidding. It's about three times as big as that. I love it. I look up words. I learn what words mean. I look, I'm just saying this. We we need to we need to leave the words that are there. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. What? Quit you like what? <laughs> you know something's wrong with that word quit. Quit means don't stop until you're finished. Quit means don't stop in the battle, even if you're tired, if you're bleeding, if you're injured, you keep on going till you get the victory. Don't uh, quit. When it says that, it means, uh, listen, perform something until nothing is left undone. Perform something until it is completely, completely done. What do we do now? Quit means I'm quitting, I'm leaving. It's total opposite almost. When you quit, means like, ah, I'll just accept defeat. I'll just put up the white flag. Okay, the Bible word quit is not the word quit we use today. Total opposite. And you see it quite a bit in the Bible where they say quit. Uh, Let's quit like men. and Let's let's keep on going. Let's be courageous. Let's keep on doing what God wants us to do. What I'm saying is this. It's silly for us to try to change the Bible and God's word to keep up with our silly language. Because our language is changing all the time. Are you with me? Very quickly... I don't know what time it is because that time is different than this time. So see what I'm talking about. This clock here says 827. That one says 835. Who's right? 835? (laughs) All right. So that's right? Okay. Come back next week. All right, Brother Nevis. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for our, another great story on, on your word, Lord. Thank you for the King James Bible, Lord. Thank you for those that put it together, Lord. Lord, we uh, know that you are the author, Lord. We just uh, know that we can count on your word. The Bible says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men, Lord. Thank you, Lord, to uh, trust you while, ma- while men will try to uh, change your word, Lord. Like pastor said, sometimes it's mistakes, typos, Lord. Help us to know that your word never changes. Help us to uh, use what we've learned here today to uh, strengthen our uh, I believe in a new word and lord it might be someone to struggle in which version of the bible uh to believe in lord help us to keep in mind there's only one version of the bible the king's bible help us guide us and just in just my prayer
1: amen